Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined as always by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, Dan. How you doing? I'm hanging in, doing all right. As usual, uh, it's Friday. We are both working remotely uh, today, so we're coming to you from our respective homes. Um, it's been a... Uh, an eventful news week, as uh, as all of the last few weeks have been. Um, we are now somehow in the month of May, which is uh, quite something. To <laughs> the last, uh, this is what now we're we are now officially entering month three of the uh, of the current crisis. Um, so we hope, uh, as always, all of our listeners, all of our readers, everyone out there in our communities is staying safe and staying healthy. Um, on the state level, uh, it's been an eventful week. Um, I guess the uh, the big takeaway from the state level this week was uh, Governor Raimondo on Monday released, uh, or, or, or for the first time publicly uh, uh, unveiled a, uh, um, a rough outline for a reopening plan for the state that includes uh, a few different phases. Um, then the, the, the full document is available on this reopening RI website, reopeningri.com. Uh, it's adopted a, uh, a, nod, a nautical theme. Um, she goes through uh, um, a few different um, phases that will be involved in the reopening, starting with testing the water then moving on to navigating our way and then picking up speed and under these various phases uh you know the, the hope generally at this point um from the state is that uh the stay-at-home order that's currently in effect through may 8th can be lifted on may 9th um and at that point um you know things like the the limit on social gatherings of five people currently can be lifted to 10 um there are numerous other aspects to it in terms of what businesses can begin to reopen on a limited basis. Um, and then, you know, after some time with that phase and seeing certain uh, criteria met, we can move on to the second phase involves the uh, lifting of the social gathering uh, limit from 10 to 15 and so on in phase three. Now, there are a number of key benchmarks that will need to be met, according to the governor, to get to these uh, various phases and to know, you know, when we are ready as a state to move forward. Um, primarily looking for a 14-day downward trend in the number of cases or a 14-day uh, trend of stable or declining hospitalizations. Um, and there are other benchmarks involving testing capability and stuff like that. And it's important to note the governor, um, you know, said that, and as she cites frequently the experience of uh, Singapore and Hong Kong in particular, places that uh, moved, um, you know, were began to ease restrictions after the initial outbreak and then had to pull back because of a secondary wave of infections. So um, she's gone, uh, uh, made repeatedly made the point that you know, Rhode Islanders need to brace for, for that likelihood. And also for the fact that, um, you know, for the, for the next year, really, that life will not be returning to normal, that, um, this, all these reopening steps 
will come with uh, new restrictions and, and new ways of doing things. So um, there have been some encouraging signs in the, in the data, um, although there were a couple of uh, um, hiccups, I guess you could say, this week or, or things that uh, from the health department's tallies. Um, first, it came to light, I think it was WPRI that reported it first, that uh, some hospitalization people that were classified as being released from the hospital, um, a portion of them were actually people who had died in the hospital. Um, and then uh, yesterday it, it came out that the um, hospitalization tallies had been, um, uh, the, the health department described it as uh, they've updated their you know, reporting system and the numbers are actually a bit higher than uh, they had been reported previously. So it's the governor continues another. Uh, I was on a conference call with Dr. McDonald from the health department yesterday. Um, he had a conference call with reporters, and um, you know both of them are kind of saying that they're still seeing this plateau in uh, in some of those key indicators. Um, although new cases continue to rise, and more people have died in the last couple of days, so um, we'll see how it goes, and we'll see what she has to say. We're recording this around eleven o'clock or eleven thirty. On Friday afternoon, um, she didn't have a regular briefing. The governor didn't have a regular briefing yesterday um, because she was uh, doing a press conference with kids, uh, the second one she's done like that. But she'll be back for a regular briefing today, and we'll we'll see what she has to say. The other um, big news, which is very unwelcome, I know, to people across the state, uh, the governor announced um, on Wednesday that uh, large gatherings, concerts, festivals, um, parades, you know, things, staples of summer life in Rhode Island, like the Bristol 4th of July parade, the Newport jazz and folk festivals. And, uh, you know, we have to assume that, I mean, the Gatsby days celebrations had already been canceled this year in Cranston and Warwick, the St. Mary's feast in Cranston, I assume will be among these, uh, these kind of events cannot go on this summer. The governor says, um, it's just not going to be, um, feasible given the, the, the risk of, uh, that large crowds pose for, for mass trans transmission of the virus. So, um, I know that was a, a, a bummer to hear on Wednesday. Um, and, but you know, we'll see how things go. I, I guess there is some wiggle room depending on how, uh, how the numbers go in the next weeks, but it is, it just underscores really how evolving, evolving the situation is on a day to day level. And then also how much, you know, it is going to be with us for, for the foreseeable future, um, at least, you know, it's for, it's going to be very different for a while and it's going to continue to affect all aspects of life. Um, elsewhere, um, the quick roundup on the, the Cranston front, there was some, some non-virus related news. Ken Hopkins, the citywide councilman, Republican second term councilman, uh, on Monday, after uh, kind of a long dance and a long tease, finally officially jumped into the race for mayor. And uh, he got quite the uh, endorsement on doing so. He's, he's receiving the backing of Mayor Alan Fung um, to, be, to be the mayor's successor. The mayor, obviously, uh, of course, is term limited, um, so cannot run for re-election this year. Um, will have been mayor for 12 years uh, when he leaves office in, in next January. Um, but it was quite a, uh, it's quite a way to come out with the announcement. Finally, I know he had, uh, 
his, his a formal announcement that had been planned at the Cranston Country Club in, in April. Um, like Councilman Steve Stikos, a Democrat, he had also set up a, a campaign announcement, I believe, in late March. That had been forced to cancel because of the virus, and he did his announcement online. Councilman Hopkins did a, a, a video rollout um, featuring the Mayor Fung with his endorsement. So this uh, sets up an interesting dynamic here. It sets up a Republican mayoral primary in Cranston between Councilman Hopkins and City Council President Mike Farina, who announced in January and has been really gearing up for this mayoral run for a long time. Um, it's it's a turnaround for Ken, too. Um, he had told me last year uh, that he was not going to run for mayor. He had uh, decided against it and was going to... Um, look to build the citywide Republican ticket and, and uh, his plan was to serve as council president in the next term under mayor Farina. Um, so it's been quite a turnaround in, in the way uh, um, he was thinking, obviously, and it kind of said, it sets up a really interesting dynamic uh, locally. So we have three announced candidates for mayor in Cranston right now, which is going to be among the most hotly, you know, closely watched and hotly contested uh, races in the state um, this year. Uh, Dan, as the as the Cranston insider, what is your read of the race right now? You know, that's a really <laughs> this this has scrambled um, this whole situation has scrambled it so much that I I wouldn't really want to hazard a guess. I mean, I, I have to, you know, all three of the candidates. Well, looking at it on the Republican side, you know, Councilman. Uh, uh, Hopkins and, and Farina both have really, you know, strong name recognition. They're both proven vote getters on the citywide level. Um, they have similar constituencies, I think, uh, in some regards. I know, um, you know, talking with uh, um, Pam Schiff, one of our contributors, she she makes the point that uh, you know Councilman Hopkins has really strong connections on the east side from his time, the east side of the city, from his time as a coach mm. at uh, East and, and athletic director for the school system. Um, but Councilman Farina has been a, you know, aside from uh, the most recent election when um, uh, Councilman Stikos actually edged him for the citywide, uh, the, the highest vote getting total on the citywide side. You know, uh, Councilman Farina has has consistently um, topped that field and has proven he can he can get the votes. So um, and he's also in a, you know, he famously. Uh, uh, left the, the the Democratic Party in 2016, um, switched sides after a little, uh, you know, tension arose behind the scenes between him and others in the Democratic caucus at the time on the council, and he joined the Republican side. Um, so he, there might be some crossover appeal there. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I do know, you know, the mayor's brand, I think, remains really strong in Cranston, Mayor Fung's. Um, so for Councilman Hopkins to get that endorsement, I think you really can't discount that. I think people will uh, will take that, you know, into right. account. Uh, right. But I don't know the, the dynamics of a Republican primary. I think it's probably gonna it's gonna test some some people's allegiances or force people to, uh, you know, to make tough choices. I'd have to say, you know, I, I assume you know both both Councilman Farina and Hopkins have uh, built strong relationships and are very visible and. Um, both definitely formidable candidates, as is Councilman Stikos, you know, and he might be on the way to clearing the field. I'm not sure. You know, we've heard about uh, Ward 4 Councilwoman 
uh, former Ward 4 Councilwoman Maria Bucci um, had been fundraising and preparing for a bid, um, but she um, has been quiet thus far. Um, you know, the Deputy Speaker Charlene Lima uh, in the House, the State House of Representatives, has been floated and has said she was considering a run, but, um, you know, as we get closer and closer to the uh, uh, the June candidacy declaration period and all of that, which is in itself going to be really scrambled by this whole situation, um, you know, you might have the field right now. I, I wouldn't 100% uh, <laughs> hazard that guess at all, but uh, um, you might have your three candidates right now. Um, and we'll see where it goes. It's, it's going to be a really interesting political season because everyone's going to have to adapt so much um, to, to new, um, you know, from everything from, from raising money to gathering signatures to get on the ballot to um, even the simple business of campaigning, which is so typically done door to door. You know, people really rely on that uh, running for offices like school committee, city council, mayor. So um, rely on meeting people in, in person and, and making the case, shaking the hand, looking in the eye. That's going to be really tough this year if uh, if it's even possible. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I know, you know, we have other races and, uh, you know, we'll have a mayoral race in Warwick and city council races. I know in Johnston we'll have a uh, town council and school committee contest, right? Uh, yes. Yes, those will be coming up uh, for Mayor sure. Pa- Mayor Policina is still uh, – not term limited for another couple of years. So. Yes, he is. Uh, he's he's there till twenty twenty two. That's why you know, his name has been floated in the governor and lieutenant governor sphere. Is when those elections come back up, or you know, a bit of a bit of a ways off from that. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I haven't heard a, a ton of buzz about you know some changes on the council yet, but you know, obviously this entire situation has kind of changed the the national the local conversation to uh, a one one track. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, elsewhere, and Johnson, I talked to Superintendent Delulo. He said that the governor's decision to continue distance learning was a good one. He approved of it, obviously. Uh, he said his only concern is that maybe students, you know, might lose some stamina as the rest of the year goes on. Distance learning, you know, maybe they they kind of uh, some kids aren't signing in at the you know the lower levels like elementary school. So it's it's a little bit tough, but uh, yeah, obviously it's it's the right call and. He addressed that, you know, the ride, the Department of Education uh, gave a guidance sheet to superintendents about graduation and potential options for that. He said everything is on the table from doing it virtually, again, you know, uh, virtually or doing a public television station or even drive-in theaters is an option, which would be pretty fascinating to behold, I got to say. That would be interesting, driving into uh, the rustic for a graduation. But... Uh, it's it's just what they have to do to adapt. Like you said, it's going to change life for the at least the, probably the, I mean, the rest of 2020 isn't going to be the same. So and probably beyond that. But for now, it's just this year. So finding workarounds for all these things is what most of these districts are doing. And Johnson's a smaller one than Cranston. So I, I, I can't imagine what Cranston is going to have to do in Warwick as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh really going to be an evolving situation but uh, everyone it seems to be going all things considered uh, pretty well um, for the most part uh, with the distance learning so we certainly hope that continues and we uh, we applaud all the 
the educators and students and families that are making it work in this really difficult uh, situation. And, you know, you just go on social media and, and uh, you know, check out the school department Facebook pages or Twitter feeds and people associated with the, the districts. And you see all of these great stories and cool things and innovative ways that people are, uh, are making it work. So kudos to all of them. Indeed. Uh, uh, here, we have a, here we have a pretty big interview today, Dan. Well, yeah, well, before we get to that, I'll circle up. No, it's okay. It's all right. Jump in the with, I want to plug a couple other stories from this week's edition, uh, or editions, I should say. Um, John Howell in the Warwick Beacon had a uh, full write-up on uh, Senator Aaron Lynch Prada, state senator um, from Warwick. She is not going to be seeking re-election. She is uh, applying for um, uh, a vacancy on the Rhode Island Supreme Court. Um and so he's got to write up on that and the political fallout, the other candidates that are, that are eyeing that seat now. John had a really good story this week, too, on uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, um, which is through the federal government administered by the SBA. It's designed to provide these forgivable loans to businesses and other organizations to help them maintain payroll um, during this crisis. Um, so he's got a bit of a look at that and some of the the, the, how the program is really designed, whether there's work or not, um, recipients of these grants are being asked to put people on payroll. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic the way it's, it's shaped out. And um, there ends up being for some workers a, a kind of <laughs> a, a strange trade-off where, you know, after going on unemployment, they received their, their regular benefit plus this $600 weekly additional benefit from the uh, federal government that was also part of the, the stimulus package. Now to go back to work, it's actually a financial loss for them at this point. So it's, it's, uh, John has a really good write up on, on that whole dynamic and how that's playing out. Um, he talked to a number of people, uh, Warwick, uh, school community education, community folks about their graduation planning and how that all might shape out. Um, and that brings us, uh, I will say too, there was a, uh, well, no, that, that brings us to your point, to our, our guest for today's podcast. Um, <clears throat> big news uh, uh, this week on, on Tuesday, actually, as we were getting the Herald ready to go to press, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, the wife of Mayor Alan Fung, she's a physical therapist at Rhode Island Hospital. She's been long been active in Republican politics, and she's a candidate for the uh, District 15 House of Representatives seat currently held by Speaker Nick Mattiello. Um, she revealed that she has tested positive for COVID-19. Um, she's, you know, been, and we're looking, we're going to be talking to her more about this. Uh, she and the mayor uh, will be joining us today. Um, they are both at home now, working from home, uh, quarantined. The mayor, uh, um, Barbara Ann is apparently doing well. Um, was as the last time I talked to them, the mayor was still uh, asymptomatic, um, which was which was good news. The mayor delivered last night on uh, Thursday night his final state of the city address, and he did it from his kitchen at home um, through a WebEx meeting, a special meeting of the city council. Um, so it's <laughs> and uh, his his budget, by the way, uh, included no tax increase. Um, it, uh, I think it's $302.9 million of totals. Um, we have some coverage up on CranstonOnline.com right now, and we'll have full coverage coming this week. But the crux of the discussion with um, with, that, with the mayor and, and Barbara Ann 
Um, we'll be talking to them about their experience here, about, uh, you know, Barbara Ann's work um, and how, um, you know, how things are looking on the front lines from her perspective and what she's seen um, and uh, getting a sense too of, you know, uh, I, I want to ask them a bit about their uh, their thoughts on how the political season will shape up, especially for Barbara Ann, since she's going to be a candidate, and um, and just generally get a look into into how this virus has now touched their lives and and how they are coping with it, especially given uh, um, the mayor, especially his position, helping manage the crisis for the the entire population of the city. So um, we're thrilled uh, that they agreed to come on and chat with us. Um, we'll take a break quickly and then we'll come back. I'll be speaking with Mayor Fung and Barbara Ann Fenton Fung. And then Jake, you and I will come back and uh, wrap things up with uh, one of our more lighthearted segments. So uh, we'll be right back with Mayor Alan Fung and Barbara Ann Fenton Fung. We're joined on Radio Beacon this morning by... Uh, Mayor Alan Fung and Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, thank you both so much for joining us. How are you? How are you doing today? Hey Dan, everything's great. Um, <laughs> Alan and I are surviving quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> this, this has been fun. Day five. Day five. Day yeah. five. Um, you know, we uh, everything kind of changed Monday night mm-hmm. um, when I tested positive for COVID, and um, Alan has been asymptomatic the entire time. So we've done everything we possibly can. To keep it that way. Yeah. Um, but like so many other families, uh, you know, there's over 300 families in Western Cranston alone that, that are going through this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, by no means are we really unique at all in this. Um, but we knew that um, if, because people would be going, where's Alan? <laughs> when it would be at City Hall, um, we had to kind of get out ahead of it and make sure people who, you know, haven't gone through this experience yet kind of know what to expect if they do and, and that it's nothing to overly panic about. Yeah. And I think that's why we were so public about it before. Plus we had to explain why Alan was doing the state of the city <laughs> from our kitchen. So yeah. <laughs> there were, there were some issues there. I thought it came off very well, by the way, the state of the city for, uh, Oh, thanks. All the thanks we hit, we hit the toaster and the blender and, uh, some of the, uh, classical high school mugs. I made sure those were moved. <laughs> Only Cranston and Cranston East stuff, right? Yeah, I like I liked the uh, the flag hanging that was in the back on the wall. The uh... yeah, that's a great art piece that uh, actually we found at the Situate Arts Festival. So yeah. it was something that we you know kind of uh, had around and thought it fit perfectly. Oh, that's we, great. we actually had a big Star Wars exhibit up on our fridge before that, so <laughs> we were like that might cause some questions. Um, Alan had to do a Zoom meeting. Uh, you were channel 12 earlier this week and um, one of our wedding presents was a big sign that says Fungamania and I guess that caused quite a bit of like what does that say what's going on Shannon Heggie was reaching out to Al like what does that say I have a bet on it (laughs) (laughs) that's too funny Um, Barbara Ann could you tell us a little bit about I know you said Monday night you got the, the diagnosis how did this unfold for you what was I understand you went to the CVS site for the rapid testing yeah, so it, this is really bizarre. I have to admit, if I wasn't treating patients with COVID over the last few weeks, um, I really would have thought nothing of it. Um, Monday morning, I woke up, and I had a little bit of a cough, and 
and I was like, oh, that's weird, but, you know, it kind of went away, but then later in the morning, kind of became a much more persistent, dry, hacking cough, and I had no other symptoms. Mm -hmm. uh, no fever, no runny nose, no shortness of breath. Um, it happened to be my day off, and I was like, hey, look, like, I haven't had a cold in about three years, so I felt like, look, I work not only at the hospital, but I've been helping out at some rehab centers, which had been down staffing um, okay. because of the illness. And, you know, I, if my grandma or grandpa was in there, I'd want to make sure that, or I'd appreciate if all the staff took the responsibility. Look, there's one symptom that pops up. You have to go get tested. Um, I, I still thought it was going to come back negative, but I just wanted to do it out of an abundance of caution. And we're very lucky that CVS has that. Um, ability for healthcare workers to get rapid tested. Mm. And um, so I, I was like, I grabbed one of the last slots of the day. Um, and uh, the CVS site is actually very well run by the Rhode Island National Guard and the CVS technicians. You, you, you get in a line, you basically pull into a tent, they give you the nasal swab, you make a couple circles in each nostril, yeah. and they're like, oh, okay. Just pull forward into the, the next parking lot and um, should take about a half hour and uh, somebody will give you a call. And I'm like, all right, no problem. And like eight minutes later, <laughs> they were like, so you're positive. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it came back very quickly. So, you know, it's one of those things that hits you really quick, but also, um, you, Al and I have kind of said this before too. We were kind of prepared for this to happen at some point because I think all of us in healthcare now kind of assume that at some point in this crisis we're going to be positive, yeah. um, just the law of averages. And um, my some point is now. So that's kind of what happened Monday. And as soon as I called him, I was like, "You're going to have to come out." And so we we just started kind of moving along and making the plans and and also trying to make sure that we told everybody who needed to be told right away, um, kind of like our own contact tracing, because we wanted them to hear it from us and for them to get all the right information um, early on so it was to decrease the panic, especially in City Hall. Yeah. Now, did you receive, uh, you've been in touch with the Department of Health? Or have they initiated the contract contact tracing process yeah. as well? Yeah, actually, they called us um, Wednesday night. Okay. Yeah. And how does that? And, yeah, it, it was, you know what, and really nice. They're extremely wonderful to work with. Um, and boy, they've got huge jobs um, in front of them for the next few weeks and months. But we've been honestly self-limiting as much as possible, mm -hmm. um, our exposure to others. So there wasn't a whole lot of contract, contact tracing that had to be done. That's um, we had very few contacts in those those, especially they looked at the past, um, the previous 48 hours to when I had a symptom. Mm. Um, and those people were notified and, and everybody, again, it's a very orderly process. Um, and they are doing that new um, contact tracing app that we're part of. It's not, well, it's not an app. It's like a text system that comes by and it asks, do you still have symptoms? And, and then they send it, stay in isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Okay. And what was interesting, Dan, on that too was I had a separate call from a different individual from health and they definitely respected the patient privacy because they wouldn't even say Bob Rand's name. They called me saying, Oh, 
Uh, I'm calling to let you know you've been in contact with an individual who's uh, tested positive with COVID. I'm like, you mean my wife? <laughs> and they were like, well, for HIPAA purposes. I'm like, okay. She's in the next room. Like, right. so, you know, but, it, but they, you know, they were very professional. You know, they went through, um, you know, and I had been keeping that um, notebook anyways about the different contacts I because I was still going to work every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Bob Rand said, I'd already started for those people that I had direct contact with before, um, you know, just immediately before Bahrain had that positive result. So we gave a heads up. Uh, so, you know, it was, you know, very professionally done by Department of Health. They reached out, asked the specific questions, asked whether we had any symptoms and, you know, knock on wood for me, I didn't have any then and still don't have any uh, right now. That's great. That's really good to hear. Um, Barbara Ann, I was curious, too, uh, about your work on the front lines at the hospital, at these other facilities. I know you have been treating COVID patients and, and kind of what's the the scene like? How are, how are folks responding? Yeah, so, I mean, it's two different levels um, right now. I have not been at the hospital as much as I usually would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a combination, one, of there's just not as much going. Th- I mean, this sounds ridiculous. We we're saying there's not a lot going on at the hospital compared to what Rhode Island Hospital usually is. Usually there's tons of multi-trauma and elective surgeries, and they've had to, you know, cancel most of the electives, and a lot of people aren't out for rounds, so you don't have the same level of traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, so the census is actually down quite a bit, and we've seen that um, in the reports of the massive operating losses that have happened at Rhode Island Hospital um, just last month alone. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the hospitals are in a lot of financial stress right now because we've kind of kept um a lot of things shut down in case there was that covid surge um so i've I've been in and out rhode island hospital has done an absolutely fantastic job dr babineau has done everything he possibly could to get us as much ppe as possible the cleaning staff or environmental services housekeeping they are just top-notch and, you know, it's, it's really kept everybody at the hospital as safe as they can be. We've got enough, we've got a lot of face shields and gowns and, and gloves. And, and that's not the same, um, you don't find that kind of level of PPE at the different rehab centers. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the rehab centers, not only in Rhode Island, but in Massachusetts, just start to become decimated. And we've seen those stories magnify, especially this week. Um, there was a one headline from Channel 10 that there was like a 700% increase at one center in Providence. We're seeing the issues at the veterans' home right now. Um, it's happening rehab center to rehab center all over the place because they just don't have the PPE. Um, at one of the places, they gave us one gown, and it was supposed to last two days, and you had to bleach it in between every single patient. Um, you know, and, and I think everybody's doing the best they can, but that's not always ideal for infection control, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, also, too, nursing homes and rehab centers, they're designed to be much more homely than a, than a hospital. We can keep people in their hospital rooms very easily. They're not doing well. They're usually, you know, in one bed. It's easy to confine them. Mm-hmm. But just think about your grandma or aunt who has dementia and you know how much they wander. Um, and they go and they have to, they have to be in a dining room because they have to be fed or supervised when they're eating. 
Um, and you know, you can't keep them in a room very easily at all. So they go and they touch other, <laughs> sorry, we're getting all these calls. Um, we get, um, you know, they're, they're touching other residents, they're touching, um, other surfaces. And while the cleaning staff at the rehabs are doing the absolute best they can, they don't have enough cleaning supplies. They don't have the same level of staff that we do at the hospital. Yeah. And I think that's a real huge component right now, why you're seeing these outbreaks, um, of just staff and patients, um, at rehab centers all across the region. Yeah. And, um, they need help, but they're doing the best they can. It's not for lack of effort or anything like that but you know I, I keep hearing from the governor that she might be sending in some of the national guard to certain centers and i, I think that'll be a real welcome development mm. no i know it's been it's been sad and disturbing to see um, right. and, to uh, just it. to you know kind of clarify i'm not sure uh, Barbarian, uh mentioned she has been in the rehab center especially in, in massachusetts you know uh in addition to you know because uh helping out there because Rhode Island Hospital doesn't have that. So, you know, for me, I see the extra precautions that she takes. You know, she tells me about the PPE differences between the hospital versus the rehab centers. But it's interesting uh, on a lifestyle standpoint because she gets home earlier than me and, it's, and she's got to take these extra precautions before she gets into the house where she's, you know, basically stripping down washing those clothes separately from mine, jumping in the shower before I get home, yeah. you know, so that, you know, we're doing everything that we can so that we're, you know, trying to not, you know, infect each other. Each other, yeah. Like yeah. I, you know, it's people were laughing when I got, well, they were not laughing at it, but it was just kind of that Murphy's law. I'm probably one of the most anal people when it comes to putting on your gown and your glove correctly and making sure your gown's tucked into your glove and getting the face shield right. Um, I change my clothes when I'm done at work, once there, so I don't have the same clothes in the car. I never bring my sneakers into the house. I change into my flip-flops in the car. Like, we've been trying to do everything right. So yeah. even, like, the clothes I'm wearing in the car, I change those as soon as I walk in. And, you know, I, I said to him a couple days ago, I probably got this from a door handle or something. You can do everything right, and it's just, you know, this is a very, very... Um, relentless virus yeah i know you work in physical therapy has this affected mm -hmm. your your practice specifically i mean how how are you interacting with with folks and are you doing stuff outside of the normal duties at this point too is it um in, in some centers you know because staff could be down a little bit especially one of the rehab centers i was at the nurse there was just a bunch of nurses who were infected and mm -hmm. so they were running short so yeah of course you just take patients to the bathroom you know and you, you pitch up everybody is stepping up. It's not like, oh, that's not part of my job. Everybody's just like, yep, anything you need. Um, people are, humanity is fantastic during this crisis. Um, but as a physical therapist, like, we are up incredibly close to people. So, you know, I remember last week I had a couple patients with broken legs, and I, I literally have to hug them um, to get them to stand up and turn even to a wheelchair. So I'm really close to people. And even if they're not covid positive so sometimes if um if you have a bunch of patients and say four tested positive and four are negative you always see those four negative patients first mm -hmm. um so that you're not going back and forth but in reality in these rehab centers it's almost like well they haven't tested positive yet maybe they're asymptomatic um or whatnot but i mean they're in the same 
hallways, they're exposed to the same air and as much, you know, sometimes some of the staff runs between rooms. Um, so, you know, I, I, I look back and I'm like, oh, I bet, you know, I was way too close to that one patient. And, you know, they become positive a couple days later. And you're like, oh, you know, I, I wasn't wearing a face shield when I saw them, yeah. you know, and, and, but that's, that's how this game goes, unfortunately. And, and we're all, we're all going to, I think, continue to evolve over the next few weeks and months um, in different centers and different locales. Yeah. Oh, geez. That sounds like a really challenging situation. Um, yeah, it, but you know what? It's really hard too for the patients because we're they can't have their family members there. Yeah. Um, I had one patient, and uh, I'll change the name, but you know he hasn't been able to. He has severe dementia. And he hasn't been able to see his wife for it's been almost six or seven weeks now. And he asked me, and he's like, "Am I married?" And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "You're married to oh, change name, Sarah." And he's like, "Yeah, she's the most beautiful person in the world, right?" I was like, "Yes, she is." Like. They're, these patients miss their families. They miss, you know, it's very, very hard for them. You hold their hands as much as you can, um, and you try to just be comforting at this point, too. Because as, as hard as it is for us and exhausting, um, they're struggling, too. Yeah. And you can't lose sight of that. Yeah. On a bit of a lighter note, we were chatting before we began recording a little bit about how how you, the two of you specifically are, are handling the quarantine and, and working out your arrangements. I know, Mayor, you had to deliver uh, your your state of the city last night from uh, from your kitchen. How is it? Uh, how is it working out with you know home arrangements, working from home, and it's, it's actually you know that was uh, really weird feeling doing that state of the city, you know, in the kitchen because you know it kind of was a little curveball to my head when you know I had the quarantine. Like, oh, I guess I'm not. Uh, doing it in my office with the flags behind me. Uh, so, you know, it was definitely different, uh, especially since it was my last one as mayor too. Mm. Um, and, you know, because we were in a crisis in an upside down world right now where it's, this has impacted everyone, uh, including us. So, you know, it's a different feeling working from home. Uh, Sometimes I don't mind working uh, on a laptop in my sweats. Uh, <laughs> he got out of his sweatpants about an hour before that speech last night. So no, like, there's there's some parts of it I was like, oh, when you go back to work, you're gonna have to. <laughs> this is gonna be a little different now. Yeah. Enjoy life. Uh, yeah, but you know, you're still working because I'm still on the phone uh, with all these calls. In fact, I got to jump on a call at the governor's office in a half hour from now. Mm. You know, where I was on the phone with. Um, you know, my office, uh, my deputy director had to uh, drive over not just the uh, budget, but uh, some personnel forms that I needed to, you know, uh, sign. So, you know, you get it done, but it is definitely a strange feeling when, you know, you're just confined to, you know, our house. And, you know, just even, you know, as we're, you know, working, as she's got her office set up, I've got mine. And, you know, we're uh, staying in different bedrooms just to, you know, try to make sure that, you know, I don't get it as well. Knock on wood, I, I've been symptom-free. Yeah. Yeah, check, check back in in seven days and see how we're, we're looking quarantine. <laughs> because we've got another week to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Mayor, mentioning, you said you're getting on a call with, with the governor. I know, um, I'm just kind of curious, I guess, for your thoughts generally, this week had some you know, big and unwelcome news, specifically that, uh, you know, large events over the summer 
aren't going to be possible in their traditional sense. I imagine I haven't seen anything official yet, but I imagine that means St. Mary's feast as well. Um, you know, and, and people are, I think, getting increasingly anxious as this wears on. What What are your thoughts on um, the state's handling the governor's approach so far, and and how things look going forward? Yeah, it, it's very sad when we're talking about St. Mary's feast. You're talking about Gatsby canceled, you yeah. know, several weeks ago when I was on the phone with the president, and this was that was her first term. You know, trying to make that call. And, you know, you're hearing about the jazz festival, the folk festival in Newport. You know, the hit on tourism is going to take, because especially in the summertime, uh, that's what we are as a state, as a community. You know, we rely so much on each other and these get-togethers that not just are celebrations, uh, you know, you get a chance to have a party, but it, it's, a, it's an event. It's a, you know, St. Mary's Peace Society is a about, uh, it isn't a parade. It's about celebrating, you know, uh, St. Mary. The, um, and that's where you lose a little bit of that identity, you know, and we get it because of what's going on with this pandemic. Uh, but the communication that has been coming from the state has been, uh, you know, very good. We've been on daily calls with the governor's staff, Department of Health, EMA, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges, both up and down. We communicate a lot of our concerns, you know, up the chain. They're trying to get as much information and also uh, PPE down to our first responders as best as possible. Uh, so the coordination's going well. But, you know, we're living in just challenging times, and we're doing the best that we can right now with sometimes the limited resources that we have. Because uh, it is present, uh, presenting a lot of challenges and frustrations to all of us. Sure. Yeah, and Dan, too, when you, you talk about things like St. Mary's, I mean, that's part of the heritage of Cranston, you know, mm-hmm. and it's part of our identity. Um, Newport, what is Newport Summers without the Jazz Festival? Like, yeah. this this is not just something that we all kind of take for granted sometimes, but it's also going to talk a little bit more. I think through this whole crisis, people have been much more in touch, whether it's on the phone or online, on social media. Uh, We've been finding different ways to connect, and I think those wonderful, large outdoor communities are ways of doing that. And um, we're going to be missing that this year. And, you know, Alan and I have talked a lot about that. This is his last year as mayor, and there's no St. Mary's Feast, and there's no Fourth of July parade. And it's, it's a real bizarre feeling. I think it's got that emptiness to us all. And at a time, I think we need to be more together than ever. Sure. On a, on a, a related note, and the, the last thing I'd ask, kind of transitioning, another thing that's going to be dramatically different this year will be the campaign season. Um, obviously, Mayor, while you won't be running again, it's uh, uh, the, we have a few candidates declared um, for, for, for mayor. And uh, Barbara Ann, you're, you're uh, planning a run for the, the House of Representatives. Um, how do you both see this crisis uh, affecting the campaign process? I mean, to me, it, it seems that every aspect from fundraising to signature collection to just, you know, the, the regular door-to-door campaigning is going to be very difficult or impossible. Well, I think the candidates are going to have to be creative to get their message out about, um, you know, because the uh, election for mayor is going to be an open seat, no one knows any of the candidates and they're going to have to get creative to, you know, let people know first who they are, that they're even running and what they're about. So the individuals that are going to 
get their message out and the voters in whatever method that they're going to be uh, doing are going to be the more successful one. But it is also going to be an interesting dynamic uh, from a election standpoint because, you know, we're starting to see it right now where, you know, this uh, presidential preference primary, and even though, you know, it, you got people on the ballot, it's going to be mostly in Rhode Island a mail ballot driven uh, primary for that. We're not sure how it's going to play for the primary and ultimately the general election. So I think all of the candidates are going to have to design campaign plans um, to make sure they reach the voters, but also uh, be creative in how they get the vote out legally. Mm. (laughs) Are you talking mail downs? (laughs) These files. No, you know Jim, too, I actually, in my race, I think it'll be slightly advantageous for me Mm. um, because I think people are very frustrated um, realizing that at the state level, uh, the the General Assembly has not set us up well for success at all. So this really can be used as a pivot point to turn towards a new era um, and definitely just being able to show people that, you know, you can kind of get away with ho-hum status quo when the economy is doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Rhode Island, you know, especially at the state level, was kind of benefiting from a national trickle-down effect. Um, but now when times get tough, all the the issues they haven't tackled, they have not made the structural reform at the state level like Allen has done in Cranston. So Cranston's a much more resilient community with its diversified economy, and it's, it's stronger sectors, it's better cash flow, like they're able to handle this better. Obviously, at the state level, there is major panic going on. Even today, we're seeing news they want budgets resubmitted and whatnot. They have $460 million is the last number I heard floating around that, that they have no idea how to make up with. So I, I think we're, we're seeing that because they have not done the hard work before, we are in for a, a long, long recovery looking at years from now. So from my standpoint, um, you know, I think it helps us to say it's time for a pivot. Mm. Um, but from a campaign technical standpoint, you know, we've already kind of adjusted our uh, plan. Um, and thankfully, running through a bunch of these campaigns before with Alan, we, uh, we know how to handle digital world. And I, I think, um, for my campaign, especially we'll be able to, to capitalize on some of the newer technology and, and be successful in the end. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not panicking about it. Let's put it that way. Well, I think you're right. The crisis of this scope is sure to reshape, uh, life in a lot of ways and politics will be no different. So. And if we do it right, and if we, we do some of the hard work now and we be creative, we can be a much, much more resilient community and state um, over the next decade. So it's an opportunity, and we really have to seize on it. Well, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, Mayor Alan Fung, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me. And uh, I hope you both, um, Barbara Ann, our best wishes for your recovery. Mayor, I hope you stay healthy and um, and hope you guys get a chance to, to rest a little bit and, and recover. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks, Dan. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.
Welcome back. Thanks again very much to Mayor Fung and Barbara Ann Fenfung for joining us. So we're, uh, we'll wrap up this week's edition as we have traditionally been doing so in this trying time and this, this kind of weird, um, weird thing we're all living through, uh, talking a little bit about, uh, what we're watching or listening to or reading or, or whatever else, any diversions, whatever diversions we're getting into, uh, without much else place to go at night and stuff, um, or while we're at home. Um, so Jake, what, uh, what's been on your radar the last week? Uh, I don't know if you've caught or listened to the new Fiona Apple album, Dan. I have not. It is. It is. So little, a uh, little backstory behind, uh, that album it, uh, I'm sure you're aware of Pitchfork, the uh, the music reviewing website. Mm-hmm. They're generally harsh to like everything, uh, but they are indie darlings over there. And mm-hmm. they announced when the album dropped that it was their first perfect ten since My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy ten years wow. ago. Wow. So that right there set off. I was like, all right, well, they called it perfect, and I was like, all right, now I really, I was going to listen to it, and I'm like, now I really got to listen to it because now I got to see what the what the fuss is all about, and. Uh, I think if I had to give you a headline description of it, uh, it's not perfect, but it's the best album I've heard this year. Yeah. It's a great album, I gotta say. It's, it is really, really well done. And it's not too long. It's only about 50 minutes, 13 songs. Um, there's some, some really good material on there. There's, there is some weird stuff, I'm not gonna lie. There's some stuff where I'm like, alright, this probably wasn't necessary. But overall, it's a really strong album, and my playlist I made last week, it really wasn't all that strong, other than uh, that album, so thank God it was on there. But it's uh, it's it's very very well done. So I mean, I don't think it's perfect. It's not a ten out of ten for me, but it's probably like a nine out of ten. So you know, if you're looking at top albums of the year so far as we approach May, it's it's definitely a, a front runner in, in that category. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I, I very very highly recommend it. It's, and I'm not a huge Fiona Apple person. I'm not a big yeah, fan. Matt, are you like a into the rest of her catalog not really not really into the rest of the catalog but i uh i did listen to uh when pitchfork released their best albums of the decade last or in january or whatever it was december uh her uh the idler wheel was the was number five on the list i think so i listened through to it and i wasn't like a huge fan of it i was like all right well i can see why they would like it pitchfork but i'm not huge on it and then this one came out and i was like it might be the same and then i listened through to it and i'm like all right this is this is really good so i it's credit where it's due and it's uh, it's it's definitely a great album. So I, I I have to recommend it. It's not for everybody. I didn't think it would be for me. It's not for everybody. But if you know if you're like in that sphere of you know Fiona Apple music and artists like her, you'll probably like it. So that's that's probably the best thing I I listened to this week. And there's other stuff I've put on playlists for next week and the week after that. But it's. Nothing really catching my attention until uh, later this later this month, unless they delay it for the third time. Uh, the 1975 is dropping their new album, and I'm very excited for that. So that's probably the next right. big thing on my radar. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of great stuff has come out this year so far. It's going to be a tough back half of the year. It's the summer's got its work cut out for it. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. That's interesting. On the uh, I've I've had uh, uh, people recommend uh, Fiona Apple in the past. And I, I feel like you like Fiona Apple. I feel like you yeah, like no, it. I, I feel like uh, I have to give this album a listen. It's uh, I, I depend so much lately on the uh, the Spotify algorithm mm. of feeding me. It, it's uh, typically pretty on point with uh, feeding me music I enjoy. 
but uh, and she hasn't she hasn't come through generally. I don't think. But yeah. have to give that a listen. What about you, Dan? What have you been diving into? Oh, let's see. Well, I guess the standout uh, I watched uh, over the weekend. There's this uh, six part documentary series that's currently on Amazon streaming on the Grateful Dead. Oh, it's wow. called Long Strange Trip. Mm. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not really a deadhead. Like I never had any antipathy or anything, but I've, but I've honestly played in jam bands before and should be in the wheelhouse. I don't know. I never just really connected with the whole Grateful Dead thing, but uh, uh, the documentary was really, really good. I would highly recommend it. If you're a music fan, I was looking for something to watch. I was originally thinking I would watch the, uh, I've never seen it, like the four-hour Eagles documentary. Oh, okay. I've been on a, a documentary kick lately, and I was uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to watch that one. But then I couldn't find it, or it was only rental or something. So then I was, saw the Grateful Dead one, and I was like, oh, let's dive into that. And uh, I watched the whole thing. Watched it. Uh, wow. Watched it in one night. <laughs> Dove into it, huh? Yeah, I did. Oh. But uh, it was really good. I'd recommend it if you're... It's a, it's a really interesting story. It uh, fleshes them out in a way for me that uh, they had never been before, kind of what their story was. And really interesting dynamic, just that you didn't, like their their peak was actually in the... For as much as they're associated with the 60s, you know, counterculture and everything, obviously their, their peak wasn't really until the 80s and even the early 90s. Yeah, with a touch of gray, right? Yes, with the, the big hit single and kind of the, the calamitous effect that had on their scene in some ways. Uh, right. They go into that. And, um, you know, just the persona of Jerry Garcia and who he was. And it was really, it was really interesting. And it was a dimension I just, I had never really uh, gotten that deep into them before. Um, yeah, on my, uh, my my watch list, the next three things, because I finished Veep, very good, highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, my next three things, I got to watch uh, the the newest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's on my list. Uh, after that, I'm going to torch through Barry on HBO. Mm-hmm. I've heard very good things about it. Yes, I and, recommend. And uh, my the third thing is The Boys on Amazon, on Amazon Prime, because the second season's coming out, I think, in the summer. So uh, I've heard very good things about that as well. So I definitely have been wanting to check that out for a while, but... Uh, now that I've gotten through Veep, the uh, the whole world's open to me. I can watch uh, so many so many things, and I've made it through Veep in a few, in a like two and a half weeks. So if I can do that, I'm I can torch through uh, anything else that anything else that my mind can be set to. I was thinking, you know, when when, uh, when this finally all blows over months from now or whatever, you know, we're gonna have consumed. Everyone's gonna have consumed all all of the media. It's, right. uh, it's uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're gonna need more of it. With new stuff probably not in production right now. It's gonna, it's That's right. Get ready. Know, get ready for best picture winner Trolls World Tour. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be one of the winners of the Oscars. I'm telling you. Get ready for it. It's a new world. It's a new world, and sure it's a new. It's a sure new norm. It's just you know what? It's unfortunate because I thought Jurassic World Dominion really had a chance at the Oscars in two years, and now all the big movies are coming out next year. It's not gonna have a shot. I was really excited for it. Now it's going to get buried by all these prestige movies. It's a damn can't shame, win. let me tell you. It's a damn shame. You can't win them all. You really can't. It's unfortunate. But, uh, yep, so that's what, that's what I've been into, and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure I'll have updates on some of that next week. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we, hope, we hope you out there in listener land enjoy our pop culture recommendations. Uh, thank you, uh, as always, for joining us. Um, we can do the... 
you a rundown. You can find us online, cranstononline.com, warwickonline.com, johnsonsunrise.net. We're on Facebook. On uh, Follow me on Twitter, at K. Uh, you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jacob underscore Morocco. You can follow our sports editor, Alex Sponsler at a spawn 27. Follow our main roadie beat to Twitter account at roadie beat. And that's a aggregator of all our uh, different sites. Um, we're also on Instagram. Should point out, check out the Warwick beacons, Instagram, the roadie beat Instagram. Um, you can, uh, let's see. What am I missing here? We're hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Uh, there'll be a link up on our websites to listen through there, or please subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, other numerous other podcast platforms. Uh, tip of the hat, as always, to my friend John Schmettinghoff, a Cranston native uh, and former musical uh, partner of mine for some of the tunes, the tune that you hear at the top of the podcast, and I'll try to get a little creative and splice in some other ones. I got to get a better microphone. So right. I can, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wild time for Amazon purchases. Yeah, I can uh, I can imagine. I'll see it in you know, oh, yeah. 12 to 9 years or, or 9 to 12 years or something. Hey, it's uh, I've had this one. I've had this one for probably 4 or 5 years now. Yeah. Works like a charm. There you go. Indeed. What am I missing? Anything else I'm missing here? I mean, we're hosted pretty much everywhere you listen to your podcast: Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, all that, all those fun places. Castbox, pretty much anywhere, anywhere you listen, pretty much you can find us. We're uh, we're we're everywhere. Beacon worldwide. That's right. Well, Jake, thank you so much for Radio Beacon. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald. Have a great week. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>